The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Well, good morning, everybody. So great to see you. And if you are visiting with us this morning, you picked a really great day because we are about to go and have an amazing meal together. Today is Thanks for the Nations Sunday. It's the Sunday that we remember God's heart for the nations that is told throughout the story of Scripture that all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God called a man named Abram and said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm I'm, going to make you a blessing to others. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's heart for the nations is woven throughout the pages of the Bible from the beginning to the end. When we see in Revelation this, um, this vision of heavenly worship, a, a huge throng, a symbol from every tribe, nation, people, and language. Today, we celebrate the heart of God for the nations, but today, we also celebrate that the nations are here, that we find ourselves in one of the most culturally and ethnically diverse cities in the country. The nations are here, and the nations are here in our midst. We celebrate the beautiful diversity that is Irving Bible Church. I am so glad that you are here. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to grab it and go with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 12 and then Galatians chapter 2. Um, a couple of passages that we look at this morning to talk about gospel unity. Because it seems to me that that in this cultural moment that we're living through, that that gospel unity is one of the most important things that we can talk about. Because what our divided world so desperately needs is a united church, a church that's united around Jesus, a church that's united around the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to look at these two passages of scripture, and we'll see in the first one the, the beautiful picture of gospel unity, and we'll see in the second one the way in which gospel unity gets threatened. And then from these two passages, we're going to draw three implications for us for understanding our call to gospel unity. So look with me in Acts chapter 12. To to set the context here, we are in this sermon series that we're calling Credible, where we're talking about the reality that the church in North America today is living through something of a credibility crisis. Will we be people of the good news? And that we're called to bear a credible witness to the world. And so for us to think about what that looks like in our day, we look back at the church at Antioch, this incredibly impactful church that that literally changed the world, the the multi-ethnic missional church at Antioch. In week one in this series, we talked about the courage that was required of them to do what they did in their day. The courage that was required of them that is the same kind of courage that is required of us in our day in order to bear a credible witness. Last week, we talked about their compassion, the compassion of the church at Antioch that that drew together an offering to be taken to Jerusalem to help provide for the church there in need. And this week, we pick up that story. They've sent um, Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to deliver the offering, and now we pick up when they return. Verse 25 of chapter 12. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission... They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John Mark. Now, in your Bible, it uh, switches to another chapter here, but remember, originally, it didn't have all the numbers, so we flow right into chapter 13, verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, 
Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now stop right there. We need to pause and pay attention to who's here in the executive leadership team at the church at Antioch. This small circle that is leading this church, the prophets and teachers, represent remarkable diversity. That we find here in these people who are listed, two people who are from Africa, one from an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, one from Asia Minor, and one from what we refer to today as the Middle East. Right? This is an incredibly diverse leadership team leading the very first multi-ethnic church. These are people that Luke goes out of his way to help us to see this diversity among this group, to recognize that it is only the gospel that has brought them together. Right? These people don't belong together, and yet they've come together around the gospel. Luke goes out of his way to underscore their diverse backgrounds of these five leaders at the heart of the church at Antioch, and this remarkable reality in the first century world is intended to show us this is what the gospel does this is what the gospel is intended to do. It brings people together that don't belong together. It binds people together who don't belong together. It builds people together who don't belong together. The, the, the gospel is intended to bring and to bind and to build people together that don't belong together, except for the reality that the, at the very center of their lives, and at the very center of our lives is common allegiance to a common savior, a common king, and a common cause for reaching the world with the good news that Jesus has come to rescue and renew his good but broken creation. That we have a common king, a common savior, and a common mission to bring the gospel to the world, and that is what binds us together. Today, we celebrate that our church is made up of believers in Jesus from remarkably diverse cultural backgrounds, and we belong together because of Jesus. The gospel unity of the church in Antioch was so remarkable for the first century world, and that's what makes what we find in Galatians chapter 2 so tragic. Flip over with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Paul writes, when Cephas, that is Peter, the apostle Peter, when, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. And when they arrived, he began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you were a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Okay, to understand the, the importance of this confrontation between Peter and Paul and to understand why Paul includes it in his letter to the churches in Galatia, we need to understand the broader context of the book of Galatians. What, what is it that Paul is up to in this book that makes why he includes this story so important? So when you think about Paul's purpose in writing the book of Galatians, you need to understand that Galatia is not a city, but it's a region. 
And it's a region where Paul has gone and planted multiple churches. And so there are now multiple churches spread through this region called Galatia. And Paul came there and brought them the gospel. They trusted in Christ by faith. And they were reconciled to God, not on the basis of anything that they had done or anything that they could do, because no one is reconciled to God by anything they have done or anything they could do. Right? This is the gospel, reconciliation with God on the basis of what Christ has done and not on the basis of anything that we have done, not on the basis of anything we could ever do. This was the gospel that Paul preached and people believed and they trusted in Jesus and they dedicated their lives to him. But then Paul left and some teachers came in and began to spread false teaching in the churches in Galatia. These teachers came in and began to teach the Galatians that in order to follow Jesus faithfully, they also had to follow the Jewish law. They also had to follow Jewish customs, including circumcision. Friends, this is not a very effective church growth strategy, let me tell you that, right? And, and imagine the people that get Paul's letter just a little too late, right? Your timing could have been better, Paul. But, but, but they're, they're being told that, that the work of Jesus need to be supplemented by following the law. These teachers taught that the work of Jesus needed to be supplemented by works of the law. But Paul writes to insist that the work of Jesus doesn't need to be supplemented by anything. That the work of Jesus cannot be supplemented by anything. As is often said, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That, that Jesus' work is full, it is complete, it is finished, and it doesn't need any supplementation. So Paul is writing to the Galatians to remind them that you need not, that you ought not, and that you cannot add anything to the gospel. And that's why he includes this tragic story of what happened with Peter. Because as we have seen, this incredible thing has happened in the city of Antioch. Antioch, this city that was, um, that, that was filled with as many as 17 different ethnic groups at the time of Luke's writing of the story. And yet the gospel came and people from these different ethnicities got together. They came together around Jesus. And Peter had had this experience back in Acts chapter 10 where as he's grown up his whole life following Jewish law, he's grown up his whole life eating kosher, and he's grown up his, his whole life believing that he shouldn't share tables with Gentiles because who you share a table with is an identity marker. And so Peter has this deeply entrenched understanding that who you share tables with is an identity marker, and he doesn't eat with Gentiles until he has this vision from God in Acts chapter 9 and 10 that reveals to him the reality that because of the work that Christ has done, those old barriers have been taken away. That those old requirements of the law have been done away with. That, that he need not call anything unclean that God has made clean. That now he's free to, to eat whatever he wants to eat and he's eat, free to eat it with whoever he wants to eat it with. And this is a huge breakthrough in Peter's life. But then he comes to Antioch and he takes a step backwards. Right At the beginning of this, Paul says that Peter was eating with the Gentiles. 
right? He was having table fellowship with Gentiles. He was eating with them and he was eating their food. Now imagine Peter experiencing bacon for the very first time. And you gotta think about it because his whole life he's been taught that, that pigs are unclean, that, that, that they're disgusting, that, that he, he probably had a sense of revulsion at the very idea of eating bacon until he put it in his mouth. And then once you've had bacon, there's no going back, right? Life changed forever. And so he's hanging out with the Gentiles and he's eating pork ribs and he's having shrimp cocktails and, and lobster, shellfish, right? His life has changed. But then Paul says some people came from James. That is, some people came from the church in Jerusalem. And suddenly Peter's not so sure. And he falls back into old habits. And Peter, Peter, one of Jesus' inner circle, Peter reintroduces segregation to the tables at Antioch. At Antioch. So that even Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray. This is a tragic moment. And Paul says, I can't just let this go by. And so Paul confronts Peter to his face. Now, if you know anything about these characters in the biblical story, they have a backstory, right? So, so we know that these are two pretty intense individuals. So this is undoubtedly a really intense moment of confrontation. And, and notice what Paul says. I confronted him to his face because, in verse 14, he was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. That the gospel is, yes, about reconciling us to God, but it's also about reconciling us to one another. It's about our unity through the gospel. I sometimes talk about the idea that issues of racial and ethnic reconciliation are gospel issues. And the reason for that is right here in the text. Paul says this is a gospel issue. And yet, we have to recognize that the, where the phrase gospel issue can be misleading is the mistaken notion that the gospel simply solves the issue, as though it's automatic. The apostle Peter himself proves that that's not true. That proximity to Jesus does not automatically eliminate prejudice. We have to commit ourselves to doing the hard work of examining our hearts and allowing the gospel, all of us, all of us, letting the gospel uproot any sense of superiority that any of us may hold in our hearts. We have to dedicate ourselves to doing that good work. Now, we look at these two scenes. One, a demonstration of amazing um, gospel unity in Acts chapter 12 and 13. One, showing us the way in which that gospel unity is threatened. And I think there are three implications that we need to see from this and think about their application to our lives and our life together as a church. First is just the simple recognition that gospel unity is a big deal to God. Right? Gospel unity is a really big deal to God. God made us with all of our differences and he loves them. And we should too. He delights in them and we should too. It's been God's intention from the very beginning of the biblical story to create for himself a unified people from every tribe, nation, people, and language. We come back time and again to what is for us one of the core passages 
of understanding God's call for us as a church. That is from Ephesians chapter two, verse 14 to 16. It's the verse that Sissy alluded to earlier, that this is such a big deal to God because it's part of what God was accomplishing through the work of Jesus on the cross. Paul says it here, referring to the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, these two ethnic groups that have been brought together. He says, for he, that is Jesus, is our peace, who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose His purpose, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. What Paul says here is part of the very purpose of the cross of Jesus is creating one, like the world has never seen before, new multi-ethnic humanity. And as Derwin Gray has said, At the table of grace, there is no separate but equal. Gospel unity is a big deal to God. That's why this meal that we're about to share is a big deal to us. We're about to go do a gospel thing, friends, celebrating our gospel unity. Gospel unity is a big deal to God. That's why it's such a big deal to Paul that he confronts Peter. So the second thing that I think that we have to see from looking at these passages is that gospel unity requires the capacity for discomfort. Gospel unity requires the capacity for discomfort. This this moment that, that, that Peter and Paul go nose to nose, head to head, right? Just imagine being there. I mean, everybody in this moment is uncomfortable. These two very intense individuals having this very intense moment, but it was necessary there was a lot that was riding on this moment. You see, if things had gotten off track at Antioch, it would have been a game changer for the Christian movement. Antioch, as we will see next week, is the epicenter of Christian mission. There's a very real sense that those of us who are here who are Christian, but are not of a Jewish background, are here today because of the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch is the epicenter of Christian mission. And there's a very real sense that if things had gotten off track at Antioch, who knows if they would have gotten back on track. If things had gotten off track at Antioch, if ethnic segregation that was reintroduced had become the norm at Antioch, imagine the implications. This moment was a really big deal. But both Paul and Peter Lean into the discomfort. They, they, they work it out together. Gospel unity requires effort. Gospel unity requires that we speak the truth in love. Gospel unity requires giving and receiving of grace. Gospel unity means that we should not be divided by things that don't unite us. And we are all from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different um, political beliefs, different uh, cultural experiences. There are so many differences in the people that are in this room and the people that make up this church. So many things that have the potential to divide us. But we should not be divided by things that don't unite us. And what unites us is the gospel. We have a common gospel 
And therefore, the gospel should hold us together despite all of our differences. Gospel unity requires the capacity for discomfort. So first, gospel unity is a big deal to God. Second, gospel unity requires the capacity for discomfort. And then third, gospel unity is good news for the world. That what they were able to do at the church at Antioch, as I've said, literally changes the world. That it's from here that the Christian movement spreads as the church at Antioch commissions Paul and Barnabas to go and begin planting churches, replicating what God did in the church at Antioch. This church changes the world. And this message, this, this good news is credible because of the way in which it's lived out of the church at Antioch. And I just want to use this to underscore the reality that my passion, friends, for us to become more and more a multi-ethnic church is not just so we can say that we're a multi-ethnic church. My, my passion and conviction for us to become more and more of a multi-ethnic church is not just so we can pat ourselves on the back and feel good about being a multi-ethnic church. My passion for us to grow and becoming a multi-ethnic church is missional. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of reaching our increasingly diverse community with the good news about Jesus and inviting them into the life of Jesus, into the life of the church. It is for the sake of the world. That we want to be the kind of church that causes people to say, who is this Jesus that brings these people together? It's for the sake of the world. Gospel unity, friends, is a big deal to God. Gospel unity requires the capacity for discomfort. Gospel unity is good news for the world. Now, if you're here this morning... And you're asking yourself, Barry, what is this gospel that brings gospel unity? Well, that's a very important question. The gospel is simply the story of the Bible that is the story that God, the creator of all things, is the rightful ruler over all that he has made. That he is the rightful sovereign over this world and everything in it. And yet, human rebellion means that this world that is rightfully ruled by God has been subjected to the rule of sin, death, and the devil, but that Jesus came to bring the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is available to all who would trust in him. And Jesus, who was both fully God and fully human, brought this good news to the rebellious world. And the world did to him the worst they could do by hanging him on the cross. And Jesus died a sacrificial death to pay for the sins of the whole world, bearing the, the, the guilt and the shame of everyone in his sacrifice on the cross. And that they put him into a tomb and yet the tomb couldn't hold him because Jesus triumphed over sin and death and the devil through his resurrection. And that he now is reigning from on high and that he will come again one day. And when he comes again one day, he will come to set this world right, to take everything wrong with this world and make it right. Everything broken in this world and make it whole. Everything marred in this world and make it beautiful. And we can have hope for that day simply by trusting in the reality of what he has done for us. That is the gospel that brings gospel unity. And gospel unity is a big deal to God. Gospel unity requires the capacity for discomfort. And gospel unity 
is for the sake of the world. It's good news for the world. The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. The following.